following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. And our opening text is Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. The future house of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills, all the nations stream to, to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn any war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready also, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Thank you, Jesse. All right, so that gets a little heavy, but we're going we're gonna to go a little light for a minute first, which is I would love to hear from a couple of you um, how you set your alarm to wake yourself up in the morning. What kind of person are you? I think the type of... Uh, the way you set your alarm says a lot about the type of person you are. So um, how many of you are the person who, if I looked at your phone, would have um, the same wake-up alarm six times two minutes apart from each other? Show your hands. I know you're out there. I see you. All right. Uh, how many of you uh, had, like, there was a, Tracy always likes to talk about how she had a roommate in college. This was back in the days of those, like, meep, 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 alarm clocks, who would set her alarm clock um, for her eight o'clock class and put it across the room. So she would have to get out of bed to go turn it off, but she never got out of bed. She just let it run and run and run. <laughs> any, any of those people in the room? Cause I know Tracy would like to have a word with you. <laughs> um, one of my favorite pandemic purchase splurges was a sunrise alarm clock. I love this thing so much. It's a little pricey, but if you can manage it, it's worth it. Um, it's more than the like the little red digital alarm clocks is what I'm saying. Um, but what it does is a half an hour before your wake up time, it starts to put in a, a like a, a daylight style white LED light that grows, starts out red and goes orange and then becomes full bright. And you wake up as if you're waking up uh, with the sun. 
to coin a phrase. And um, I love that. So that's my alarm clock. I'm not sure that the person who shares my bedroom loves it all that much because it might be just a slightly gentler version of how she spent her college years. Uh, but anyway, we all have different ways of waking up. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are uh, not morning people. Um, but we're talking about waking up today. So by the way, happy new year, according to the Christian calendar. The liturgical calendar starts not on January 1st, but on the first Sunday of Advent. And that's what today is, the first Sunday of Advent. By the way, did you notice the beautiful poster of the liturgical calendar? Um, isn't that beautiful? Uh, if you didn't see it, it's right by the welcome table. Check it out on your way out. It, it's like a, a wheel that shows the entire year and the, the seasons of the church year. It's really beautiful. We'll refer to it um, throughout this coming uh, liturgical year. Uh, but the first Sunday of Advent is New Year's, New Year's Day, basically, in the church. So happy New Year. Um, <clears throat> I hope you all didn't party too much last night for a <laughs> liturgical New Year's Eve. But the season of Advent is just a season where we wait for the coming of Jesus. And it, it does, in one sense, go uh, hand in glove with what I was saying at the beginning of the service today, which is we ought to slow down a little bit. And that goes for so many things. But, but when it comes to the season of Christmas, um, we kind of go to 100 on December 1st or the day after Thanksgiving or the day after Halloween, depending on your moral character. And it's just like nonstop Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And what Advent requires us to do, what it helps us to do is to slow down and to sort of dwell in the anticipation of waiting for Christmas. That's the first meaning of Advent. But liturgically, in the, in the Christian calendar, the the texts that we get during Advent also point to another kind of waiting, another kind of coming of Jesus, which is the second coming of Jesus. Uh, and that's where you get some of the texts like we had today from that gospel reading you just heard, which are kind of like, be ready. <laughs> and throughout the texts uh, that were given to us for the first Sunday of Advent this year, this theme of wake up is is to be found. We saw it in some ways in the prophet Isaiah, which was kind of that beautiful, gentle text that um, the Newman family read to us. Uh, Let us walk in the light of the Lord. We're kind of getting this idea of, of waking up. Um, and I would love sometime to preach a whole series on that beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks image. It's such a powerful, powerful image. We saw it in the gospel reading, as I mentioned, you know, uh, keep awake, therefore, if the owner of the house knows what time the thief is coming, that owner is going to stay awake until the thief gets there and then we'll be, we'll be ready. Um, by the way, how many of you, you can show your hands if you want to, or you can just give me that knowing like, uh, look, how many of you have some religious trauma around that text? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Be ready. Wait, you don't know the hour when the Son of Man will return. Okay, as I say it in a louder voice, more people are raising their hands. I definitely was exposed to at least one youth group snuff film that used that text. I know some of you were too. I see you. I mean, I'm not sorry for the Bible exactly, but I am sorry for the feeling that rises up in you when you hear that text. And I'm going to encourage you to be gentle with yourself. And if anything I say seems less than gentle, um, please accept my apologies in advance. That, that wouldn't be my intention. We also see, and most of you won't know this yet because we haven't read the text, we see the wake-up theme in the epistle reading, which is to say the, the reading from the letters of the New Testament. 
which happens to be from the book of Romans chapter 13 today. Um, and I know that some of you are reading the lectionary texts ahead of time, which I, I love. I encourage that. But most of you have not read Romans 13 um, today uh, or this week. So let me read it to you now. This is the, um, the other text from the lectionary. Let me just make sure I have the right verses. Yeah, it's verses 11 through 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Rome. He says, besides this, you know what time it is how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Right. So you get the wake-up theme in this, in this book too, don't you? But what does it mean exactly to wake up, spiritually speaking? Now, you probably know, if you've been around here any length of time, that I am not a kind of three-points, fill-in-the-blanks type of preacher. Um, but if I were, what the heck, let's go for it. If I were a fill-in-the-blank, three-points type of preacher, here are the blanks I'd have you fill in. Here's the three points. The first thing that you can wake up to during the season of Advent is your own sin. Nobody wants to hear this. Many of us, um, I've already alluded to this fact, have had the wake-up-to-your-own-sin message hammered into our hearts and brains for so long that we never even want to hear the S-word again as long as we live. And believe me, I am sympathetic to that reality. And, some of you know I'm trying to change all of my buts to ands. <laughs> and I think we let go of the concept altogether at our own peril. Not because I think that there is some eternal punishment awaiting us if we're not careful. That's not what I'm saying. I actually don't believe that. But I, the reason I say we let go of the concept of our own sin at our own peril is because if we are never willing to reflect on the realities of our own wrongdoing, the ways that we have harmed others and harmed ourselves, I think it's going to be pretty hard for us to move forward in a healthy and productive way in this life and in whatever happens to await us in the life to come. And so, yes, one of the blanks in my three-point fill-in-the-blank sermon would be wake up to your own Sin. Maybe it's time to wake up to God's gentle nudge that you have a mess to clean up in your personal life right now. And by the way, it's a lot easier for us to see that that reality exists in others than it is for us to see it in ourselves. So if you can look at someone else's life and say, man, they really have a mess to clean up and they have no idea what that ought to do for you and for me when I do it, which is frequently, is to say, what messes am I not aware of? that I need to, need to clean up by God's grace. That's the second, the first one. The second one is to wake up to uh, systemic sin in which we are all complicit. This one we do talk about a lot more at Artisan. I don't go down that other road very often. This one I talk about a lot. The reality is that, that human sin is baked into the systems that operate all around us. It's in the government, it's in the tax code, it's in the criminal justice system, it's in the medical system. It's even found in well-meaning charities that are ostensibly doing 
God's work. All of these systems and others have at times contributed not to the flourishing of all humankind, but to the oppression of parts of humankind. Not, in other words, to equality, but rather to tipped scales. And the scales always seem to tip toward those who are in power. And we um, ought to recognize the times when we are those people. You're like, can we talk about personal sin again? It would be a lot easier for me to give up whatever, than to talk about unwinding systems, (laughs) to take accountability for the fact that, yes, I benefit from almost all of them. I personally, Scott, benefit from almost all of them. It'd be different for some of you. But I bet there are some that you benefit from. And it's really, really, really hard to repent of that kind of sin because it literally costs you something to do it. That's the second blank. And the third one, the third way we can wake up this Advent season is to wake up to the breadth of work that God wants to do. Strike that. The work that God is already doing with or without our participation and to wake up and become part of it. Which is to say, God wants to welcome so many more people into the kingdom than we uh, make our doors wide enough to accommodate. Sometimes literally, but I'm speaking mostly figuratively here. And I think sometimes at Artisan, I'll just speak for myself, but you're all part of this community too. Maybe this is true somewhat for you. But at Artisan, which is a place that has deliberately tried to become more and more inclusive over the past decade, it's pretty easy for me to pat myself on the back and say, oh, we're doing so great with that. All the people who the other churches don't want around. We welcome them here. Aren't I so great as a pastor? Aren't we so great as a church? Well, I do think Artisan is pretty great. But, and, I think sometimes we're missing a whole group of people who we don't want around and therefore do not welcome. And I firmly believe, although I do not live this out perfectly in my own life, I firmly believe that if, if, if you want to be welcomed by people who don't want to welcome you, you have to be willing to welcome others who you don't want to welcome. Right? Judge not lest you be judged, right? By the way, I'm not asking anybody to put their own personal safety at risk. That is not what this is about whatsoever. But I do think there are entire groups of people who would actually not feel super welcome at Artisan Church. Which means we have some work to do. And it's really hard. It is impossible in some cases. But with God, all things are possible. So that's my uh, my three-point fill-in-the-blank sermon. Now I'd like to issue for you my actual sermon for today. My actual sermon for today is actually quite brief. It's it's all of these stern words in the in the readings today, the stern words in the gospel, you know, the thief in the night thing, the stern words in Romans thirteen. Um, by the way, Romans thirteen thirteen would be a great memory verse. Not in reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. 
Can you picture reciting that verse at summer camp? <laughs> uh, and that's okay. We probably need those stern words more than we think we do most of the time. But also, if I've taught you anything about how to read the Bible, it's that you cannot read one verse at a time. Romans 13, 13 is not the whole of the message. It's not the entire thing. In fact, the Romans 13, 11 through 14, which is what the lectionary gave us to read, is not the whole message. It's not the whole chapter. It's certainly not the whole book or the whole Bible. So did you notice the beginning of that passage? When, when the lectionary gives you, or any, any you know, your page-a-day Bible calendar or whatever, it gives you a verse that says, the first words in it, besides this, that's a clue. Right? It's a more complicated version of the, uh, the interpretive rule number one, which is, what is the therefore, therefore? You can say that together with me. You know it by now. What is the therefore, therefore? If you start with therefore, you're not starting with the beginning of the thought. You have to back up a little bit. Same thing with besides this. So what comes before? Let's just go back to verse eight. This is what it says. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, sidebar, licentiousness, debauchery, drunkenness. All of those laws are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And yes, it goes into all kinds of details after that. The details are not meant to oppress you. They're not meant to make you feel awful about yourself. They are meant to point out some examples you might want to consider in acting out that one law, which is love your neighbor. And if you are loving your neighbor, you have fulfilled the law. That's not the gospel of some progressive lefty preacher. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the Bible. It's the part that people like to leave out. And of course, you may know that that teaching is not unique to the Apostle Paul, who we think probably wrote the book of Romans. It's actually a teaching of Jesus himself, who you you can probably remember if you've been spending any time in church, that someone came up to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, where did those laws come from. They came from the Hebrew Bible. They came from the Jewish tradition. They came from the book of Deuteronomy in the case of loving God and the lovely, warm, fuzzy book of Leviticus for love your neighbor as yourself. It's found right in between the two chapters that you always get quoted to you, some of you, by the way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Next time someone comes at you with Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, ask them what they find in Leviticus 19. I guarantee you they haven't read it recently. And so you get to feel really (laughs) self-important. And you'll send them back to the scriptures and they'll find love your neighbor as yourself. And they'll go, wow, that's where Jesus got it from. So I wonder if what a lot of us need to wake up to today is love, actually. But you're going to remember it now, aren't you? (laughs) This is my opinion about that movie. 
<laughs> but seriously, what if we're going around in a spiritual stupor right now, asleep at the switch, and what we really need to wake up to is love? What if instead of waking up to the fear of what God will do to us if Jesus comes back at the wrong second in between our sinner's prayers that we pray every night, what if we actually wake up to God's abundant, unconditional, always-on love for each one of us? And what if that awakens something new in us, which is actually love for God? Because what most of us function with, I think a lot of the times, is fear or anger or resentment or questions for God. But if you wake up this Advent season to the idea that God loves you, first and last thing God thinks about you is love. And you might begin to get to the place where you can actually say the words, I love God too. God is the first mover. What if What if we actually woke up and instead of feeling fear and resentment and anger and hurt, all of which might be perfectly legitimate ways to respond to the the neighbors around us, given the way they might have acted? What if instead we woke up thinking that we were going to love them today? Remembering those great words of C.S. Lewis, which is like, don't bother even trying to love your neighbor. Just pretend you do. And after a little while, you will come to love your neighbor. What a difference that would make in our world, in our spirits, in ourselves, in our community here and beyond these walls. It might even make it feel a lot better to read Matthew 24. Right? Because if the thief in the night metaphor is all about Jesus coming back in wrath, getting ready to trick his way into damning us forever because we slipped up and didn't repent fast enough. That's one way to read that text. But if what, what if the thief in the night is Jesus coming back and the person taken away is the one who's taken away into deeper and more and fuller love and the one who's left behind doesn't experience that? Well, then that's something I'm ready to wake up for. That will get me out of bed in the morning, spiritually speaking, and I hope it will you as well. So let's pray. God, we give you thanks this day and each day for the words of Scripture, for the editors of the lectionary who so kindly gave us these beautiful passages today. We pray for your help for those of us who have uh, a pained history with some of them. Will you heal those wounds and draw us back into comfort? We pray that your spirit would convict us where it's necessary of the sins in our lives, personal and systemic, and that the spirit's love would overflow from us that we might remember that the doors are open wider than we ever would want them to be. Most of all, God, may we wake up to your love for us, for all humankind, Help us to love ourselves well enough that the commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves actually begins to have meaning. And as that love overflows, may it be part of the work you are already doing in the world 
May we have the privilege of joining you in the restoration and recreation of all things. We pray these things to Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.